on our first ever Dan Cave Draft Day Special. I'll do a live full seven round Seahawks mock draft where you can follow along through the process. How will the Seahawks add extra picks? Who will they get to replace Frank Clark? Is the Legion of Boom rebuild still underway? And can we please get some new weapons for Russell Wilson? It's time for my Seahawks mock draft live next in the Dan Cave. Welcome to the Dan Cave. Here's your host, Dan Vies. All right, everyone. Happy draft day. To me, um, this is my favorite day of the year. Or actually now it's three days. Um, I kind of miss the days when it was just Saturday and Sunday. But draft day, the NFL draft is here. I prefer this to Christmas and Easter and Halloween and all those other days that the rest of the world considers holidays. Uh, this is a, a, a big day for me. Love, love draft day. have always considered myself uh, a big draft geek. Um, uh, one year, gosh, off the top of my head, 2009, 2010, um, whichever year Dion Butler was drafted. That's the one that stands out to me. I actually uh, flew to Arizona to watch the draft uh, with my best friend Eric, who lives down there, and uh, a lot of times I end up having to work during the draft, and that's frustrating. Um, but this year I took today off from work, um, and as it turns out, now that the Seahawks have their two first-round picks in hand. It's going to be a much more uh, dramatic, um, much more intriguing and dynamic first round for the Seahawks. Uh, regardless of what they do with those those two picks. I was a little bit concerned when they only had the 21st pick that they would end up trading all the way out of the first round. Um, and and I would have taken the day off for nothing. But, um, of course, that's not the case. There are so many storylines that I'll be keeping an eye on. The first round is always paints a picture and, and, and evolves and grows as it goes through. It, it's really fun to go back and watch um, the old first rounds that the NFL Network has been showing, um, it, because it, it, it's like a time capsule, right? And and you see um, some of the crazy moves that were made, and some of the crazy trades, and the busts, and the um, and then the guys that become Hall of Famers. Um, some of those are guys that you wouldn't expect the day they're drafted to become Hall of Famers. But uh, this year, more than ever. Um, I've really got deep into draft research. Part of it was getting back into writing and, and being a member of the staff at Seahawk Maven and also having this podcast and having access this year to a database that was shared with me um, that gave me access to dozens and dozens, literally hundreds of um, really well put together scouting videos. Those were kind of hard to find in the past for me. A website that I used to use uh, is no longer in existence. And so it just kind of opened up a whole new world to be able to to be able to watch these prospects myself and kind of color uh, my perception of them in addition to um, all the great resources that are out there on the web. This year, um, sort of out front and center, the new kid on the block, the Draft Network, and all the things they do and how well their website's formatted and, and uh, all the different podcasts they do and, and the different analysts they have uh, really gives you um, all sorts of different voices and opinions that you can compile. And I'm, and I'm old school too. I still love when those first draft magazines hit the newsstands and I grab as many of those as I can. There used to be four or five this year. I was only able to find two, the Lindy's and the Pro Football Weekly. And even though they're done way way too early in the draft process and I get it it, it they need to get it out early because there's so much work that goes into the publication and making them look, look all nice and shiny and and that kind of thing and then and then some of the analysts online that have more and more these days started to publish their um, their draft guides and doing so without charging anyone um, and so Dane Brugler and and some of those guys um, that put out draft guides Danny Kelly from the ringer and and uh, the different way they're all formatted. It just gives you different opinions and and in some ways makes it a little more challenging. Um, I'm a mock draft addict and I have done 
Um, I just counted them up this morning. The ones I saved, and and I don't I don't save them all. I didn't realize you could download and save the file from Fanspeak uh, until a couple of weeks into the month. But I've saved 30 mock drafts just from Fanspeak alone in just the month of April. Uh, the number's probably closer to 50. And so I thought it would be really cool, especially given uh, some of the changes this week with the Frank Clark trade, bringing the Seahawks back another first-round pick, to do one of these live. And I wish I could truly do it live, but as of now, logistically, the way I have this podcast set up using Anchor as my host, that isn't an option. It's something in the future that I may look into. There are other hosts that are available um, where I know you can actually do podcasts live in the moment. But by live today, I mean I hit record. I'm talking to you on the microphone. We're recording this as we go. And I'm going to use the FanSpeak on the clock premium mock draft simulator to go through the draft process because it's easy to do these things on your own time because there's no time limit. <laughs> I can I can be on the clock at the 21st pick and spend two hours if I want to looking through draft boards looking at scouting reports, trying to figure out which player I want to take or uh, looking at trade-down possibilities or trade-up possibilities. Um, but I thought it would be cool to do it more in real time. And uh, so a couple of things. First of all, fan speak on the clock. Just check it out yourself if you're a mock draft nerd. There are uh, pluses and minuses to it. Um, one of the things I like about it as opposed to other simulators is it gives you multiple big boards that you can use as your guide. Um, and it gives you a chance to preview those big boards. And you can see how how accurate you think it is relative to what a lot of the big boys out there are saying, the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world, the Mel Kuypers and Todd McShay's of the world, Bucky Brooks, Charles Davis, those guys. Those guys that are connected and, and tuned into the league and talk to people um, from the teams and do a lot of their draft research. Um, now that Mike Mayock is out of the game and is a general manager with John Gruden in Oakland now, I consider Daniel Jeremiah to be um, a cut above all those other guys. Um, but it gives you a chance to see how, how well, not only that it matches up with what those guys are saying, but also with what I believe and, and what I think um, might be likely to happen. So you can pick and choose which one to use, and then it gives you the most freedom of all the simulators out there to make trades. The Draft Network uh, built a simulator this year, and it's fantastic, and I think their predictive board is the best one of any mock draft simulator out there, but they don't yet have the opportunity or the option built into their software to be able to execute trades. I think it's something that they've said that they're looking into and they would like to do. There are some challenges. Um, and so maybe that's something we can see from them next year. And then there's firstpick.com. I've used them for years. Um, but it's harder to make trades happen. The trades that are presented to you are ridiculous. They don't match the NFL trade value chart at all. The chart that was established by Jimmy Johnson back when he was with the Cowboys, in which Bill Belichick even admitted two weeks ago, um, most teams still use as a guide. And Belichick even said, um, you know, we, we, we have to all use roughly the same chart. Otherwise, you know, it's like trying to translate different languages and it's going to be harder to come to deals. Um, it's harder to pull those kinds of trades off on first pick and their big boards horrible. Routinely, you'll see players still available in the fourth and fifth round that are third, second, and sometimes even first-round draft picks. So what Fanspeak allows you to do is, is manipulate trades because it allows you to trade future picks. And so if there's a trade that you're considering making um, and, 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 and it matches on the draft trade value chart to the point, Every pick is assigned point value. Um, you can you can propose a trade that's 
accurate to the very point. And it'll, re it'll allow you to, if, it, if the computer rejects it, you can just say, okay, well, I'll give them an extra first next year. And it doesn't affect what you're doing now. Um, and, and so there are times where I have to do that. Um, so that's what I'm going to use, fanspeak.com. And usually what I would do when I'm doing these on my own is I map out all my trades ahead of time. Just so the board is set, I can see all my picks, and then I can go from there and let the simulator run. For purposes of doing today's mock draft and wanting to stick with the whole live theme, I'm going to let the board play out. And then we'll make those decisions when we're on the clock. And not that I'm going to use all of the time on the clock. I certainly don't want to because I don't want this to be a two-hour mock draft. But I am going to start a timer um, consistent with what the NFL does. So first round is 10 minutes. Um, gosh, let me refresh myself on those. First round is 10 minutes. Second round is seven minutes. Rounds three through six is five minutes a pick. And then the seventh round is four. As the Seahawks stand now, they have the 21st pick in the first round. That's their own native pick. The 29th pick in the first round that they acquired from Kansas City in the Frank Clark trade on Tuesday. The 28th pick in the third round. The 22nd pick in the fourth round. The 21st pick in the fifth round. No second round pick. That was the final piece of the Dwayne Brown trade. And then no sixth round pick. No seventh round pick. The sixth went to Green Bay last year for backup quarterback Brett Hundley. And the seventh went to the Oakland Raiders for backup safety and special teams ace Shalom Luani. So five picks. We know that John Schneider wants more than five picks. I think he'd love to be he'd love to land in the eight to nine pick range to cover what they need. Um, we also know the strength of this draft is in the defensive line, which happens to be now, especially after the Frank Clark trade, their most glaring need. It was a need even if they had kept Clark. They would have been looking for another edge rusher to pair with him, another interior defensive lineman to rush a passer, another linebacker that can add some versatility coming off the edge. So that needs even more glaring. We know this is a strong draft for that. At the very top, and then also in the rounds two, and even into round three. We know it's a weak draft in some of the offensive skill positions. There, People are really mixed on the wide receiver group. Uh, and it's one of the worst running back drafts in many years. It's a solid offensive line draft with some depth. Um, but I don't know how much we're going to focus on that as we go through here um, because of, of depth that the Seahawks already have on their offensive line. And for the first time in years, some continuity, and they're coming off uh, a year that showed great progress in the offensive line. So obviously the focus is going to be, for me, on defensive line pass rush, on getting Russell Wilson a couple of weapons uh, because we know that Doug Baldwin had three surgeries that we know of this offseason, shoulder, knee, sports hernia. He's turning 30 years old. There's been rumors of him considering retirement. If he does play this year at any kind of a healthy level, this may be his last year as a Seahawk with his, his contract being structured in such a way um, so that it would be advantageous for the team if they want to clear some salary cap room to cut him in 2020 or restructure his deal at that point if he wants to continue playing. So with just Tyler Lockett coming off a great year and David Moore, who showed flashes last year but then really faded away at the end of the season, um, and then not a whole lot after that, a real thin receiver group. So would like to add to that position at some point. So those are my two biggest needs. And also the secondary. You may look at the secondary and say, hey, Trey Flowers, the rookie, showed great promise after converting from safety. He looks like a potential star. Shaquille Griffin took a step back last year, but as a rookie, we thought he was going to be a potential lockdown corner star. On the other side, they lose Justin Coleman, so slot corner is certainly a need. There's some guys on the roster they like, but that may be a focus. And then, geez, they spent all those picks on safeties two years ago, Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill, and then trading for Shalom Luani last year and signing Bradley McDougald. I still think they want to add to that group. Uh, certainly at the slot position, they've looked at a lot of safeties in their pre-draft visits this year. Um, safeties that project as guys that can also cover in the slot. Um, 
and I have some favorite players when it comes to that. But don't count out the possibility that they'll add a typical uh, Seahawk mold outside corner to not only compete with Shaquille and Trey. Okay, fans get attached to players. If they take a corner in the first or second round, don't think, oh, geez, why? what's wrong? What Don't they like Shaq? Don't they like Trey? Or one of those guys is going to lose their job? Well, maybe, because let's, let's not forget, right? Win forever, always compete. But also, we may be on the verge of seeing some scheme changes and some game plan changes aimed at slowing down some of these spread offenses now that are proliferating the NFL, Sean McVay's system and, and what Andy Reid's doing in Kansas City and then having to contend with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, we may see a lot more nickel and dime packages, and they may be on the hunt for more. They may You may hear this term, can never have too many. Can't have too many corners that can cover. Safeties that are versatile can play corner and safety, can take a deep middle, but also come up and quarter, or cover backs and tight ends and things of that nature. So that's where some of my focus is going to be. So I'm going to want to trade back, pick up extra picks, I've read many reports that say that Schneider would love to end up with five picks in the top 100. That roughly means five picks in rounds one, two, and three. Right now, they only have three. So let's see what we can do. I'm just going to go ahead and click start. And then the simulator just kind of runs through, and they've got Kyler Murray going one. That's certainly going to be one of the biggest storylines tonight. Josh Allen goes two to the Niners, Nick Bosa to the Jets, Quinn and Williams to the Raiders. This is what I like about this big board I've chosen. This all seems like chalk so far. And as we get down now, pick number 17, Jeffrey Simmons just went to the New York Giants. Um, so we're on the clock. And I did want to mention a couple players by name because I mentioned Jeffrey Simmons, and I was actually glad to see him pick. There, there are a few fl- players that I have removed from consideration that I've taken off my board right off the top. One of them is Montez Sweat, Mississippi State, defensive end. From every conceivable angle, he looks like the perfect Seahawks candidate to be a, a Leo in their, in their scheme. The Chris Clemens, the Frank Clark. Tall, explosive, blew up the combine, a freak of an athlete, but there are some medical concerns. He has an enlarged heart. And while he was allowed to compete at the combine, and that says that their medical staff, uh, the NFL's medical staff that runs the combine, was comfortable letting him uh, participate, uh, there are mixed reports of some teams having him off their board, some teams feeling comfortable with his medical condition. But keep in mind, just a few years ago, the Seahawks drafted a defensive tackle, Garrett Scott, in the sixth round, I believe. And um, very shortly after the draft, before training camp even began, he was released because he was discovered to have an enlarged heart. And so the Seahawks' own medical staff may have more concerns and be more uncomfortable with Sweat's medical status than other teams. If they are comfortable with him, he fits. But for the purposes of this exercise, I'm taking him off the board. I'm also taking Jerry Tillery, defensive tackle from Notre Dame, off the board. And again, you may be surprised by this because... He fits in so many ways what Seahawks look for. He kind of looks like a Michael Bennett type. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's strong at the point of attack. He can also penetrate and rush the passer. He's got long arms. But off the field, Tillery doesn't have character concerns, doesn't have red flags, but he has a very wide, diverse array of outside interests other than football. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Some teams value that. He loves to travel the world. He's very political. He's very involved in non-football things. There was a clear shift in Seahawks' focus and philosophy when evaluating draft prospects and free agents starting last year after all of the roster turnover and some of the issues in the locker room that happened with some disgruntled vets. Guys like Michael Bennett and Earl Thomas, and Richard Sherman that they chose to move on from. You heard the term over and over and over again last offseason and during the season from Schneider and Carroll, all ball. He's all ball when they signed Ed Dixon. He's all ball. Jaron Brown, he's all ball. Guys that they drafted, he's all about ball. You heard that term over and over and over again. They want guys 
that are obsessed with the game and obsessed with becoming great at the game. I have questions about whether Tillery would check those boxes for the Seahawks, so I have him off my board. I have Greedy Williams, maybe the best physically talented cornerback in the draft. And you would think that he's a fit. Tall, long, great cover corner out of LSU. But he is, and the best term I've heard, I'm going to steal it, he's allergic to tackling. He does not like to come up and get physical. He's a little bit like Deion Sanders was in that way. And to me, that just does not fit with what the Seahawks look for in a corner and how they use their cornerbacks. So Greedy Williams is off my board. And then I would have taken Jeffrey Simmons off the board, even though in a lot of practical ways it would have made sense to take a guy who was a top-five talent if he hadn't torn his ACL late last year. A guy that you could take this year. Maybe you get something out of him in the stretch run. They say he may be back on the field by October. But moving forward would be like an extra first-round pick next year. Defensive tackle that Daniel Jeremiah said it yesterday. Maybe the best defensive player in this draft if he hadn't gotten hurt. But there's more than just the health issue. First of all, the Seahawks need to get immediate production from their rookies this season because of the Frank Clark trade. They can't afford to redshirt any guys. They can't take a Rasheem Green like they did last year, knowing how raw and young he was and that he basically wasn't going to be able to contribute as a rookie. They need guys that can step in and play right away. They may be a little bit more focused on a higher floor than they are unlimited ceiling. But there's also some other issues with Simmons. There was a domestic issue where he allegedly um, struck a woman um, while she was down. And, and that's something that was an issue with Frank Clark. And they've faced with some other players since then. And they took some heat for drafting Clark at the time. They That may cause them to shy away from a player like that. But Simmons is off the board. And then a couple other guys I'm torn on. And so I'm going to hesitate heavily to draft them unless they're clearly the best option. One is Ja'Kai Polite, defensive end out of Florida. On tape, as an edge rusher, to fill a need for the Seahawks, top 15 pick. But he had one of the worst draft seasons in recent memory. Tried to bulk up and add weight to show NFL teams he could play at that heavyweight. And he did it too fast. He did it in the wrong way. So he pulled a hamstring, pulled a groin, had a terrible combine, had to pull up lame after his second 40. Same thing in his pro day. So his testing didn't go well. And then he, he didn't interview well, gave some odd answers, and kind of came across as aloof and bizarre to some teams. So I'm torn on polite. Now, if he slips all the way to the third round, it may be a point where risk and reward match up. Um, but we'll see how the draft unfolds. Rashawn Gary is another one. So many mock drafts have Rashawn Gary now going to the Seahawks. Maybe one of the most physically talented edge rushers in this entire draft. One of the highest recruited players in recent memory when he signed with Michigan. His production never really matched the talent. Some of that he says was scheme. He was asked to be a two-gap guy sometimes instead of just being turned loose and going after the quarterback. But also he has a labrum issue in one of his shoulders. And the reports are that he's going to have to have surgery. He can play with it his rookie year, but then he'll have to have surgery. Well, who's to say then, if that labrum's torn, that he wouldn't aggravate it or make it worse or completely tear it during the season? Again, the Seahawks need to take at least one edge player high in this draft that can contribute right away and play meaningful snaps as a rookie. So that might be a little bit too big of a risk uh, in taking Rashawn Gary. But again, we'll see how the draft board falls. And then Taylor Rapp, the safety out of the University of Washington, who I love so much as a football player. And just a couple of months ago, when I suggested he might be the perfect fit for the Seahawks at 21, a, lo a lot of people would answer back, he's not going to be available at 21. But then... He ran a terrible 40-yard dash. Uh, I think his times were in the low 4-7 range at his pro day after not running the 40 at the combine, even though he looked really good in position drills. But high character, football addict, checks every box for the Seahawks, except that 4-7-40 time might scare him off. Now, if the Seahawks love him as a player, it actually might work in their favor because he could fall into their lap later in the draft. But I would hesitate to take Taylor Rapp over some of the other safety prospects. So that kind of gets us started. We're sitting on the clock at 21. I'm going to start the timer. I just wanted to kind of set the stage with some of those other parameters. So we're going to start the timer. 10 minutes.
And we look at some of the players that went just in front of the Seahawks. Simmons is off the board. Rashawn Gary was taken number 19 by the Tennessee Titans. Don't have to worry about that dilemma. Okay. But some other guys that I really like are off the board too. Here's who is still on the board. Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle out of Clemson. Tackle might not seem like a need, but Dexter Lawrence is considered a top 10 or 15 talent that is only falling this far in some mock drafts because of the strength of some of those other positions. Dexter Lawrence would be a legitimate option at 21 if, she, if he should fall because he is a guy stout against the run but also can get after the passer. And so you win uh, from both aspects there. As far specifically as some edge guys, LJ Collier of TCU, who we know the Seahawks met with and worked out, is still available. He did not test at an elite level on some of his agility testing that the Seahawks typically typically look for in an edge rusher. But the fact they had him in for a visit indicates some interest, and he is a guy that can play inside and out. He gets by on strength and motor. Ja'Kai Polite is still on the board. Jalen Ferguson is a really intriguing one. The all-time NCAA sack leader out of Louisiana Tech, I think 45 sacks in his career, reminds me a lot of Frank Clark. Because coming out of Michigan, the knock on Clark was didn't have an explosive get-off, didn't have a great burst. There were questions about his ability to be a dynamic pass rusher. And then he won with strength and determination. Same scouting report on Jalen Ferguson. Kind of fits that same mold. Chase Winovich out of Michigan. A guy who comes up short in a couple of athletic testing areas, but absolutely has one of the most relentless, infectious motors of any guy uh, in this draft and a guy that you, any team would love to have on their team. It's just a matter of value and when you're going to take him. Um, and, and as far as guys that I would consider with this pick, that's about it. And then when you look at safety, we know the Seahawks have had plenty of safeties in for top 30 visits. They had Juan Thornhill out of Virginia, Darnell Savage out of Maryland, um, Rapp, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida. Um there's a lot of depth there. I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to look at corners, and I think there's some depth there too. I'm going to wait on that. And so I'm going to execute a trade. I've got seven minutes left on the clock. And what I'm going to look to do, I keep eyeing number 32. I think the New England Patriots are going to want to come up and get a player. And specifically, there's that need at tight end. There's that need to replace... Um, Rob Gronkowski. It's such an important part of what they do with their offense. And you've got those two tight ends out of Iowa. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. Typically, Hawkinson is mocked in the top eight. Here he's off the board. He goes to Detroit. Noah Fant is still available. I think he fits perfectly with what Josh McDaniels and New England likes to do. And so we're going to move down. We're going to accept a trade offer from them to move up from 32 to Seattle. And here's how this works. The 21st pick is rated on the trade chart at about eight, at 800 points. New England's pick at 32 is 590. So they need to make up 210 points there somewhere. Um, let me just punch them in so their picks are highlighted because I've done this before. I believe their third round pick is an almost perfect match. And it is. It is the eighth pick in the third round. Excuse me. Yeah, eighth pick in the third round. He's worth 225 points. It's a little bit of an overpay for New England. Um, they could get away with offering 112. Let's see, 112 would put them at 700. Actually, this is a scenario I've looked at in the past. This is what I'm going to do. So, New England may not want to give up the eighth pick in the third round. A lot of value there. They also have two second-round picks. So they're in good shape, and they have some extra picks to work with. They have four sevenths, but they have three thirds. And their last two picks in the third round, pick number 97 and pick number 101, when you add those two together with the 32nd pick, at 798 points. It's a near-perfect match, and it gives the Seahawks five picks in the top 100 that they would want, and it gives gets them up to three third-round picks. So we're going to execute that trade. I'm going to call Bill Belichick. And uh, we're going to offer him the 21st pick in the draft for pick number 32. 
Pick number 33 and 37 in the third round. And this is one of those situations where fan speak rejects it. So we're going to throw in a future first-round pick just for purposes of getting it through. Now it's accepted. So the Seahawks now have picks uh, 29 and 32 in the first round, and then three-thirds, a fourth, and a fifth. So now we're sitting at 29, and our pick is on the board. All those edge guys are still there. Collier, Polite, Ferguson, Winovich, defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins are still there. Uh, both those defensive tackles from Clemson. Um, Zach Allen, defensive end from Boston College, listed as a defensive lineman. He's still there. Draymond Jones, defensive tackle from Ohio State is a consideration here. A very Michael Bennett-esque looking defensive tackle that can penetrate from the inside. Anthony Nelson, uber athletic, six foot seven inch defensive end from Iowa, is also on the board. And then you've got those safeties. So knowing I have a pick at 32 still left, this is where I'm going to go with Ferguson. And the reason I'm going to go with Ferguson, I talked about how reminiscent he looks to me like Frank Clark, but also. Tony Pauline of DraftAnalyst.com was on with John Clayton on ESPN 710 yesterday. And Pauline has really nailed some predictions about the Seahawks in recent years. He seems to be really tied in with some sources on that staff. And he says that they love Ferguson and he could be a target early on day two. Well, the Seahawks, you know how they feel. They did this with Bruce Irvin. They did it with Rashard Penny last year. If there's a guy that they like and they're afraid he won't be there when they pick again, they'll take him. So Jalen Ferguson is going to be the pick here at number 29. Then right after we pick at 29, I'm going to reset the clock. Oh, we still had two and a half minutes left there. So right after the Seahawks pick, Dexter Lawrence then went to the Packers. Offensive tackle Greg Little to the Rams. So it really leaves the Hawks with a lot of options at 32. All those safeties are still there. And this is where I want to take a peek at the wide receiver position. Don't be surprised if the Seahawks prioritize getting a weapon or two, as I said, for Russell Wilson. Especially if they think he can be a dynamic weapon and especially that bigger receiver that Carroll has coveted ever since he's been in Seattle but he hasn't really been able to find Mike Williams had the one great year and then fell off a cliff you know he even brought Brandon Marshall in last year at the great training camp and then didn't contribute and was cut after a month he wants a bigger receiver and it's really the one thing lacking from that receiver room David Moore's a six foot six one guy Tyler Lockett sub six foot Doug Baldwin is sub six foot. There's no one else in that receiver room who gives Russell Wilson a big target in the red zone. And so even though he's routinely mocked later in the draft, I'm targeting Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. They haven't met with Butler, but he's 6'5", crazy athlete, former basketball player, just seems like the kind of guy that would attract Carroll's eye. And then another player, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State, who they did have in for a top 30 visit and worked out. He's still available. And so I'm looking to slide back from 32 and just pick up another mid-round pick. And the team that I'm looking at is the Indianapolis Colts. It's just a small slide back. They have the second pick in the second round. They have a ton of cap space left. They have a bunch of extra picks. They have an outstanding young team, but they still have some needs. And they, in particular, have some needs in the front seven. And there's so much depth there. It, like John Schneider said the other day, it's what kind of flavor ice cream do you like? Do you want a base end? Do you want a three technique? Do you want a five technique? Do you want a Leo? Do you want a wide nine guy? Do you want a specialist? The Colts still need some help up front in their pass rush. They were rumored or reported to have interest in Frank Clark before that trade. So there may be still a guy there that they like with the 32nd pick that the Seahawks are okay with passing on. So it's only two spots. It's only going to cost the Colts 30 points. But that gets the Seahawks another fifth round pick. 
And so we're going to make that trade. So we're going to call the Colts. We're going to call Greg Ballard. We're going to offer them the 32nd pick for the second pick in the second round. And the 26th pick in the fifth round. That's accepted. And so that gets us out of the first round. We're going to switch over to the second round now. Reset the clock. So the Seahawks end up only drafting one time in the first round. They get defensive end Jalen Ferguson, Louisiana Tech. We start the clock in the second round. First player to go off the board is Christian Wilkins. So both those Clemson defensive tackles are now gone. And so far, this draft, to me, seems like it's progressing in a way um, that really makes sense. Um, and, and in this scenario, and I'm going to play true to this board, we traded down with the Colts. The Colts jumped up and took Nikhil Harry, <laughs> which might have been my first target with that second pick of the second round. And that could be a scenario. The Colts really lack, other than T.Y. Hilton, major weapons for Andrew Luck. So it could be another reason that they want to move up into the first round. But that's okay. Because I'm going to take Akeem Butler. I just think he's so big. He's so dynamic. He runs surprisingly good routes for a guy his size. He still, he was kind of late to the game. Really blew up his last year at Iowa State. I got to watch him firsthand absolutely dominate Washington State in the Alamo Bowl, even though the Cougars won that game. Uh, he's a guy with with great hands and knows how to use his body. Basketball background, can block guys out in the red zone. Um, could have maybe taken one of the safeties there and and waited and, and lucked out and maybe gotten J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford to fall to us in the third round, but that doesn't seem very likely either. So now we're into the third round. We have picks 28, 33, and 37 in the third round. And at this point, I've got eight total picks now. I'm not going to mess around with any more, any more trades. We're just going to see now this next cluster of defensive players and what falls to us in the third round. The one miss may be that we may miss out on one of those safeties that we really like. The guy that I love the most is Darnell Savage out of Maryland. I think he's the best slot corner in this draft. And thought about taking him at the second pick in the second round. Wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks' first two picks are edge and safety and they wait for receiver because there are some interesting guys later on as well. So we're on the clock now. 28th pick in the third round. I'm looking at those safeties, and unfortunately our gamble didn't pay off. All those safeties went off the board. Taylor Rapp is gone. Gardner Johnson's gone. Um, there are some other interesting safeties. Deontay Thompson out of Alabama, who at one time was considered a very high prospect and a first-round prospect. His stock has really fallen. Will Harris, who's more of a center fielder for Boston College, is still there. So then we switch over and we look at the corners. And here's one of the no-brainers. There's a lot of focus on Lonnie Johnson of Kentucky early on. Could be a high pick of the Seahawks. As could Justin Lane from Michigan State. But Isaiah Johnson... Long, long arms, 6'2". And here's what makes him more of a Seahawk corner prospect than maybe anyone else out there. Is You've heard about the kick step technique, right? The kick step is a technique that Pete Carroll teaches, um, whereas some organizations, although more getting away from this, want you to go into a backpedal. Uh, it gets you some separation from the receiver, gets you in a better position to read the play. He's already employed that at Houston. I don't know if he can play the slot or not. He's mostly played outside corner. But again, we we gambled on those safeties, and some of those guys are off the board. So I'm, I'm just going to take Isaiah Johnson because he fits. He's going to compete. He's going to push Shaq Griffin and Trey Flowers. He's a guy that at... Uh, that can contribute in the slot or in nickel packages. And at worst, you've got a potential starter to not only push those two outside guys, but when their contracts come up, and Shaq could be first, uh, could give them some options and be able to move on from one of those guys instead of um, paying him big-time corner money. So I 
Isaiah Johnson's in the fold. Real quickly, again, we come up on pick 33, and we need to add more to the front to the front seven. So in this scenario, Charles Omenihu from Texas is still available. There are some mixed scouting reports on this guy. I think because he's not a jump-off-the-screen, twitchy, dynamic player. But what he is is an absolutely perfect fit for the Seahawks. He is a guy that checks all the boxes. 6'5", 280 pounds. 36-inch arms. 36-inch arms. But yet he has a 36.5-inch vertical. Broad jumps almost 10 feet. His short shuttle time at that size and weight is 4.36 seconds. He's strong at the point of attack. He can play inside and out. Be an outstanding compliment to Jalen Ferguson. Charles O'Menehue, I wouldn't be upset if the Seahawks take O'Menehue with their first or second pick. I've seen him fall into this range a number of times. I don't really believe it. But again, I've consistently seen him available. I'm not even going to think around. I'm going to turn this card in, and Charles Amenahue is joining the fold. I still want to add another front four player at some point in this draft, but now, already on the clock again at 37 in the third round, I feel like it kind of frees me up to look at some other things. I'm going to take a peek at guard. With only seven or eight picks in the draft, and I wrote about this uh, today in a story that will be going up uh, on Seahawk Maven by the time you hear this, um, just kind of some last-minute thoughts and musings and ponderances about some things you may see from the draft today. And one of them is, don't be shocked if we don't take an offensive lineman. That may shock a lot of the analysts who still think offensive line is a problem. But you saw the improvement last year. There's finally some continuity Four of the five starters are back, and then they filled J.R. Sweezy's spot by signing Mike Upati, former Pro Bowler. And there's some depth there. Okay, You've got Ethan Posick, who can play guard and center. Joey Hunt at center. Um, George Fant uh, at tackle. Jamarco Jones, who they drafted last year and got hurt, missed his whole rookie year, but looked like he was going to challenge Jermaine Effetti to be the starting right tackle. They really like his potential. So there's some depth there. Jordan Ruse is still in the fold. But... I would like to add a guy that can play guard and center and that potentially could project to be Justin Britt's successor. Because like Baldwin, Britt in 2020 has a contract that that it's advantageous for the Seahawks to move on from and they could free up, I think, about 8 or $9 million in cap space if they feel like they can upgrade that or save some money there. And there just happens to be a player that I really love that's on the board at this point, Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin. What's great about Dieter, he's got three years of starting experience at Wisconsin. We know how successful they've been churning out offensive linemen in the NFL. Dieter is a, he's great at pulling, and he's a mauler. You see lots of pancake blocks on his tape at the point of attack and at the second level, and he's played everywhere. He started one entire season at left tackle, even, and was named All Big, All Big Ten. He was named All-Conference at guard. And he also was their starting center for an entire season. And that's what intrigues me about him. He's a guy that could play day one at guard, start as a rookie. And remember, DJ Fluker at right guard and Upati at left guard both have major questions about durability. So if need be, Dieter could start as a rookie at guard, but he also could project long-term to center. He could do what Max Unger did 10 years ago, play as a, as a rookie at guard, and then become the long-term starting center. We thought Posick was going to be that guy, but there are signs that this coaching staff has fallen out of favor or Posick's fallen out of favor with him and that they don't view him as highly as they once did. Remember, he was drafted uh, by Tom Cable when he was the coach here and may not fit with what Mike Solari's uh, trying to do. So I'm, I'm going to take Michael Dieter here and really add some depth and competition to that offensive line. So that gets us through the third round. Again, I'm not going to make any more trades. Another thing that we're not going to draft this year is a quarterback. We just It's a luxury we can't afford. 
Next year, with all the extra, extra picks that they're stockpiling, I would love to see them draft a guy that projects as a future starter someday that they could develop and then trade after a couple of years, kind of a Jimmy Garoppolo-type project. We've got the 22nd pick in the fourth round here and then two fifth-rounders to look forward to. We've got Jalen Ferguson, defensive end, Hakeem Butler, wide receiver, Isaiah Johnson, corner, Charles O'Menehue, defensive lineman, Michael Dieter, guard center. As we get close to the pick, I'm kind of seeing some, some picks come off the board. Another thing that I really want is a tight end. And there's some depth here. Uh, Kahali Waring out of San Diego State I really like. More of a pass catcher than an inline blocker, but an outstanding athlete. And a guy that could count as a weapon for Wilson. Um, Drew Sample from Washington, who like his former teammate Will Disley, last year's fourth round pick, Maybe one of the best all-around tight end prospects in this draft. Outstanding blocker. And although he was underutilized at Washington in the passing game, really looked good at the combine catching passes, really looked smooth uh, getting in and out of his breaks. Foster Moreau from LSU, another guy who's an outstanding blocker and shows potential as a pass catcher, even though he wasn't used that way at LSU. Trevin Wesco of West Virginia. Also fits that mold. Um, a beast in the running game. He's the best blocking tight end in this draft outside of TJ Hawkinson, who was a top 10 pick. Um, and also shows flashes, shows, shows potential as a pass catcher. He's a guy that has Seahawk written all over him, but I think he might last until the fifth round. So I'm going to shy away from tight end here. I'm going to look real quick at the safeties. This big board shows Deontay Thompson is still there from Alabama. If that were the case, I would take him, but I don't believe it, and so I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to look one more time at the defensive line. I want another guy that can help in the pass rush. And another way uh, that you can do that is by taking a defensive lineman that can play three technique and get after the passer. Um, because I don't really like some of the edge options that are here. Justin Hollins out of Oregon gets a lot of play because of his physical traits, but there's no projection projection. Um, to match that. Same with Jalen Jelks, his teammate at Oregon. Both those guys. Tremendous athletes. Getting off the bus, they look like studs. But there just isn't the production there. So I don't know about those guys. So I'm going to go Daniel Wise, defensive tackle out of Kansas. This is a guy that on a bad Kansas team was playing out of position last year at five technique, taking on two gaps sometimes, holding the edge, playing the run, but his traits, his quickness, his ability to penetrate looks a lot like Clinton McDonald, who the Seahawks had so much success with a couple years ago. 6'2", 281, 33-inch arms. Ran a 4.37-second short shuttle, which is outstanding. Seahawks love to see that. Daniel Wise is a guy that projects would be a great rotational player with Puna Ford. Puna Ford looks to be the starter alongside Jaron Reed, more of a run stuffer, whereas Wise, as a rookie, could be used on clear passing downs and in sub packages and could give you another way to get to the quarterback from the interior. All right, so we're through the fourth round on to the fifth. And my targets here are I'd like to add another athlete at safety, and I would like to add a tight end. All right, we are at pick number... Oh, Drew Sample just went off the board, so he's no longer an option, but that's okay because we're going to go with Wesco. Uh, as I said, Trevin Wesco, West Virginia, just a gritty dirt bag of a player who loves to block, and we know how important that is to the Seahawks scheme. I mean, shoot, they're using George Fant as a quote-unquote tight end as a sixth blocker out there, right? Might not have to do that with Wesco, and he would pair so well with Will Disley, who's also an outstanding blocker if you do some two tight end sets as much as the Seahawks like to run the ball. But he has some upside and potential as a pass catcher as well. And then with the final pick, I would have liked to have added a linebacker and 
particularly over the last couple of weeks, every mock draft I've done, I've taken Jelani Tavai out of Hawaii in the third or fourth round. He's a real rising prospect. Obviously, in this case, he rose to the to the point that he wasn't available with that cluster of third-round picks that we had. He's a guy that projects as a potential starter when K.J. Wright uh, is finished as a Seahawk, maybe as early as 2020, but also at 6'3", 235, can rush the passer from the edge. So just keep that name in mind. Jelani Tavai is a linebacker. You may not think we need a linebacker right now, but he's a guy that could supplement the pass rush in packages from another spot as a rookie to help also be part of that group that they're going to use to try to replace Frank Clark's uh, production. Um, and so I want to address that safety position. Marvell Tell III out of USC is a guy that played deep safety for USC. Um, but isn't afraid to come up and hit. And checks all the Seahawks boxes. He is an elite athlete who can cover a ton of ground. And as I said, doesn't mind coming up to hit. I don't know if he fits that mold of a guy that projects to be able to come up and play the slot. But his athletic traits completely overshadow those of Tedrick Thompson. And I don't think they see Shalom Luwani as a guy who could be an every-down starter at free safety in this league. More, more of a special teams ace who can help you in a pinch at safety. I think Marvell Tell is a guy that they could see as a bit of a project who could help on special teams with that speed and hitting ability, but that they might be able to, to develop as an every-down free safety in, in Pete Carroll's system. And so this is what we ended up with as we recap the Seahawks picks. And truly, what you're going to see happen over the next couple days you're not going to see the Seahawks go without a 6th or a 7th round pick. In some of these trades, and you may see a little minor one, they 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 have that cluster of 3 picks in the 3rd round. They can move one of those down and pick up an extra 6 or an extra 7. They like drafting in those rounds. It does give you an opportunity, if there's a player that you have your eye on as a potential undrafted free agent, but you think there's going to be a lot of competition for his services, or maybe you're getting the idea from his agent that he might have another organization that he's leaning towards because those conversations start before the draft is over. Well, then you can use a seventh round pick on that guy and then you have his rights. But just for the sake of, of getting through this, um, I didn't want to go beyond that. And so here's our final tally. Seahawks trade down from 21 to 32 and then from 32 to the second pick in the second round. They stay at 29. They take Jalen Fer Ferguson edge rusher from Louisiana Tech. In the second round, they take wide receiver Hakeem Butler, 6'5". He looks physically like Calvin Johnson. I'm not saying he's Calvin Johnson. He's not nearly as fast as Calvin Johnson. ran a 4'3 at the Combine. Hakeem Butler's more of a 4'5". But gives Russell Wilson an outstanding big target and a, and a potential long-term dynamic weapon on the outside. In the third round, they get three players. Cornerback Isaiah Johnson from Houston, Fits the typical perfect mold of a Seahawk cornerback prospect. Defensive lineman Charles Amenihu, who can play edge and interior, can rush the passer, play the run, would really be a foundational piece of that defensive line. Guard center Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin. Defensive lineman Daniel Wise, who would project as a three-technique penetrating defensive tackle. Tight end Trevin Wesco from West Virginia, great blocker, potential in the pass game. And Marvell Tell, one of the best athletes at safety in this draft, uh, who could be have some uh, long-range starter upside. So, the biggest question was, how do you re replace Frank Clark's production this year and long-term? Ferguson, four-year starter at Louisiana Tech, even though it was a little bit smaller school. Not the level of competition, but... Long track record of production, reliability, high character, high motor, high effort player, durability, doesn't miss games, can contribute as a rookie. Charles Amenihu, same thing. Durable, played at a high level at Texas, played against some of the best offensive linemen week in and week out, can rush the passer, can play the run, 
can be a three down, every down defensive lineman. Then you're adding Daniel Wise to the mix, who projects as a three technique, a guy that might, as a rookie, even be able to contribute in packages as a pass rushing defensive tackle. So, would love to know what you think. If you follow me on Twitter, at Seahawks Forever, let me know um, what you thought of this draft. And um, you can email me at the Dan Cave Show at gmail.com. Um, but if you're on Twitter, please follow me. I will be tweeting um, incessantly over the next couple of days, especially tonight since I don't have to go to work and I can watch every second of the draft and follow all the rumors and reports leading up to it. This is a great day. It's a fun day. Have fun watching your Seahawks. Have fun watching John Schneider with two first-round draft picks. Move around the draft board. Pick up extra picks. And don't be surprised if you see him dip into that pool of picks next year in order to add a pick this year. That was something I didn't mess with today. I have played around with that. But you saw the gap, right, between the second pick and the second round. And... What was that? Then our next pick was the 28th pick in the third round. A lot of people think the strength of this draft is the second and third round. And you know it would kill John Snyder to see all of those players. 50 players going off the board in that range. Guys that he loves. One of those safeties. He could take one of last year's picks or one of next year's picks and take one of those extra thirds that he picks up today and move into the second round to get one of those guys. Because as it stands now, the Seahawks in 2020 have a first-rounder, two seconds, two-thirds, two-fourths, one-fifth, two-sixths, and two-sevenths. So it gives them a lot of ammo to try and move up. There's one thing I want to say before I go. As much as I'm excited about this day, and this is a fun day for me, I mean, it is... I joke, but it, it is a little bit like Christmas. I It took me about an hour to fall asleep last night just because I was, you know, the wheels were turning and I was so excited and, and, and wanted to get on with this day. Uh, I woke up today to news of the passing of an old friend, uh, Omar Valdez. Uh, he was a customer of mine at the Mustard Seed 2 in Bellevue, which I managed and bartended at for four years between the years of 2007-2011. And um, I don't, I don't get close to customers. I keep uh, a very professional distance with customers. I act professional. It's my job. Um, I'm all business at work. Um, but this guy, this guy kind of broke through that wall, and um, he would be the highlight of my day most days. He was an East Coast guy to his core, Cuban East Coast. Imagine that combination. New York guy, huge Jets fan, used to paint their game balls. He was an artist, and that's one of the things we bonded over. Um, he gave me my first tattoo, and and this is a guy that used to tattoo for the Hell's Angels, no joke. Gave me my first tattoo. It's an image of an Alter Bridge album cover with the uh, title of one of their songs, Rise Today, above it. I was going through some tough times back then, and that song was kind of an anthem of mine and a motivator and my favorite band, very inspirational band for me. And uh, it's, it's, it's my most basic of all my tattoos, but I'll never forget what he said when he was giving it to me. He said, in my experience, you're in for it because if you get one tattoo, you get seven. And he was off by a little bit. I'm now up to a full sleeve and a total of probably 15 or 16 and, and more on the way. But while his may be the most basic single needle, one dimensional tattoo that I have, it's the most meaningful. And um, it's something that I'll always be able to have to remember him by. Uh, he would always brighten my day. And even though we didn't see each other in person much over the last few years, uh, one of the things I love about social media is it allows you to stay connected with people. And and even though he was fighting tooth and nail against the bitch that is cancer over the last couple of years, um, he finally succumbed to that. And he left us um, this week. And, uh, and, and I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss his stupid memes 
he would send me. Um, and, and the way I'm going to honor him today is I'm going to follow uh, the New York Jets as they work through the draft uh, as, as closely um, and, and with as much interest as I will follow uh, my beloved Seahawks today. And so um, I just wanted to put that out there into the universe. Um, rest in peace, Omar, and go Jets and go Seahawks. Enjoy the draft. Thanks for listening. Let's get on with this. And um, I will be back tomorrow morning. I will post uh, an episode with my reactions to the first round, either on the Seahawks picks or with what they did uh, in the event that they trade completely out of the first round with both their picks. Um, And then some other general thoughts about how I thought the first round went as well. Um, That'll be tomorrow on the Dan Cave. Thanks for listening today. Again, rest in peace, Omar. Go Jets and go Seahawks.